This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is John Kavalik, Senior Policy Advisor for the U.S.-Cuba Trade and Economic Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Robo AgriFinance, offering a comprehensive portfolio of services that give producers and agribusiness the right products to prepare for and take advantage of market opportunities. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with John Catholic next. As a leading financial services provider in the United States, Robo AgriFinance adds value using industry expertise, client-focused solutions, and by creating long-term business relationships. Robo AgriFinance offers a comprehensive portfolio of services that gives producers and agribusinesses the right products to prepare for and to take advantage of market opportunities. This comprehensive suite of services includes loans, insurance, middle market, input financing, and effective risk management products. Robo AgriFinance is a division of Rabobank, the premier bank of the global agriculture industry and one of the world's largest and safest banks. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. President Obama's declaration of a reestablishment of diplomatic relations as well as economic and travel ties with Cuba has been well received by many in the U.S. agriculture industry. Others are skeptical. John Kavalik, Senior Policy Advisor of the U.S.-Cuba Trade and Economic Council, suggests caution in advancing credit to boost trade and suggests the U.S. Congress and Communist Cuban government ultimately will decide how active trade becomes between the Cold War neighbors. Congress has the ability to deal with money. So potentially the House and the Senate could send legislation to the president or include legislation within a must-sign bill, like a defense authorization bill or something, that would defund the ability of the State Department to pay for someone who has been posted as ambassador. Uh, They could not allow funding for changing the sign on the U.S. intersection in Havana to the U.S. Embassy in Havana. So they, they could do a lot of things with, with the budgets. So that's you know where you may see some activity, but overall, there's a pretty much a bipartisan support in the House and Senate for a change in direction toward Cuba. It may not be supporting everything President Obama has done, But generally, when it comes to specifically agricultural exports, you have the majority of senators and members of the House from states that have exported to Cuba are Republican. And they're unlikely to spend a lot of time or effort making anything uh, less likely to happen. As far as what the president's announced, you know, the, the proverbial devil's in the details. So what I've suggested folks do is when they watched President Obama make his initial statement, he spoke for about 15 minutes standing at a podium wearing a dark suit, explaining what he wanted to do to the Cuban people, for the Cuban people, with the Cuban people. President Castro sat at a desk wearing a military uniform and spoke for about two minutes. 
And those optics should say a lot. And what they say are the Cuban government still feels it is at war with the United States. It is under attack by the United States. It's just the methods have changed. So no one should expect that the Cuban government is going to say, please, Mr. President, do everything that you said you wanted to do, and we're going to stand back and watch our form of government change. Because the Cuban government knows that any meaningful change in the commercial, economic, or political relationship with the United States means one thing and one thing only, and that is uncertainty. And the Cuban government hates uncertainty. How do you expect agriculture and food trade to change based on what the president has announced? Initially, there's not going to be much of a change because everything the president discussed, whether it's farm implements and equipment being exported to Cuba to the nascent private sector, whether it's building materials to the nascent private sector, whether it's the telecommunications equipment and hardware and software and, and systems technology. It all takes money, meaning the Cubans have to have the money to pay for it. Also, they have to want it. But on the money side, this is a big issue. Back in 2000, when there were negotiations on the Trade Sanctions Reform and Export Enhancement Act, the Cuban government was pushing for that legislation to include financing. U.S. companies and banks would be able to finance those food and ag product exports. And some of the ag groups bought that and signed on and, and tried to lobby. And the companies said to the Congress, you include financing and we're out. We're not going to do this because... We're not going to be standing in line with everyone else trying to get paid by the Cubans, as well as none of our CEOs want to be on CNBC being grilled by a host asking why they have a bad debt to Cuba and watch their stock tank. So the company said, we'd rather sell less and have Cuba build up credit worthiness, show that it's a safe market. And that's happened. But that's not saying that now we reward with this. Cuba still has a abysmal payment record, and its finances are a mess. So what everyone needs to watch for is, and the Cubans eventually will do this, they're going to say, Mr. President, all this is nice, but who's going to pay for it? Companies, banks, is the U.S. government going to provide export guarantees? And that's when we get into some debate. So what are the holdups now that are preventing trade? And from your perspective, what needs to happen if U.S. agriculture is going to have access to the 11.2 million people that are there? The primary impediment for U.S. food and ag exporters is money and politics. Money in the sense that Cuba's chosen commercial, economic, and political systems restrict its ability to earn foreign exchange and to have a dynamic economy. But that's their choice. Their dependence upon Venezuela for oil primarily, China, Russia to a lesser extent, allows Cuba to maintain the system it has. So the relationships Cuba has with those three countries matter more in terms of what Cuba is going to be able to do in the future than what the U.S. has announced. If Cuba's relationship changes dramatically with Venezuela, Cuba's going to have to make some major changes, which generally most people would say are going to hurt first, but then could be better. But the 
you know, the primary impediment for everything else is what type of system the Cuban government wants. And that generally differs than the type of government system that we want them to have. So this isn't all about U.S. companies, you know, waiting to grab this market. You know, but so many times I hear people, there are 11.2 million people 93 miles off Key West, Florida. True. But this isn't Dubai sitting off Key West, Florida. This is a poor country that has severe restrictions upon what its people are allowed to do. And until it changes those restrictions, you know, a, a gentleman in Sinfuegos who has a restaurant called a Paladar, you know, if he sends an email to Kohler in Wisconsin saying, I need to buy some toilets for my restaurant, right now the Cuban government isn't going to let him do that. If there is a trade relationship between the two countries, who would benefit? Well, you would hope that always both countries would benefit. The challenge in Cuba's case is, and this came up in, in the TISRA negotiations, where um, the farmers that grow the product always want to export as much of it as they can after they meet domestic needs. But then there are the equipment manufacturers and the implement manufacturers. And, of course, they want to export to countries so that countries can develop agricultural uh, industries and be somewhat, maybe not self-sufficient, but be more, be less not self-sufficient. So there is the balance that has to be between the wishes of exporters who want to sell Cuba product and the Cuban government, which doesn't always want to import as much as it imports now. It would love to be able to produce more on its own. So that means more equipment and implements, seeds, etc., but that's not necessarily in the interest of the exporters. So there is this, you know, this, this balance that takes place. And how that, how that ends up with Cuba is, is going to be a challenge because we're going to be seeing, again, a debate between do we want to sell product to Cuba or do we want to sell them the means to do it themselves. Discuss the political aspect of any potential trade developments between the two countries. Politics has always gotten in the way of commerce between the U.S. and Cuba. And with the food and ag trade, there was, a, I think, an honest effort by the Cubans and by the U.S. ag groups and by the exporters to try to take politics out of the, out of the equation and to say U.S. companies provide good product at good prices with good delivery terms. So that's good for the Cubans. The Cubans looked at it. Yes, this is true, but we do have to use cash, so that's you know a little tough. We understand why, but the hope is that the more we buy, the more political goodwill we're going to earn. And they did, and they earned a lot of goodwill. But then they started to try to push back on the politics, and they tried to push some of the companies and ag groups to be very vocal on the political issues relating to, quote, the embargo, unquote. Companies weren't comfortable with that. Then Cuba made some political decisions relating to Iran and uh, North Korea and China and Russia and Venezuela. So the business community basically backed away. And then Cuba started to buy less product. And also sometimes during the last you know, 13 years, what Cuba's purchased um, hasn't always been uh, based on politics, commodity prices go up, commodity prices go down, so that impacts it. But I will say the politics 
did play a role in a good way that when Russia prohibited U.S. poultry exports at one point, the pricing went down and Cuba stepped in to buy a lot from the U.S. producers, which pleased the U.S. producers, uh, but also was politically astute. So when we think about, uh, again, the position of where we are today, what actions do you see by the, the 114th Congress? What actions do you see by the Cuban government? How do you see things change, and what actions will will likely take place that will either allow this to move ahead or quash it? There'll be some effort by some members of the House and the Senate, primarily those who may want to run for president, uh, to uh, look at funding and as a way to impact what President Obama has announced. I don't think that's likely to go too far because there is that bipartisan support for the food and ag sales. And just like food and ag sales having a large footprint in the United States, agricultural equipment uh, and implements also have a large footprint in terms of where the parts come from that are then assembled into the final product and then where the product is then exported. Same with building materials. So there are a lot of congressional districts and then states whose governors will not look too kindly upon any effort to severely impact anything that is especially cash only and can help U.S. exports. So I think there's going to be a lot of thumping, but I I don't think there's going to be a lot of, of action. Now, there may, though, be some legal challenges. So there may be sort of extra congressional where some members of Congress may either support or or do on their own or whatever. I think there may be some legal challenges to some of what the president is announced because of the wording that is in not only laws, Cuban Democracy Act, Libertad and Tisra, but also some of the previous executive orders and proclamations by previous presidents. And the courts may sort that out. There is the wording that the, quote, embargo, unquote, may not be removed and normalization of relations may not take place, amongst others, until the government doesn't include Raul and Fidel Castro. Well, Raul's there. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But Congress writes the laws, and sometimes they write the language constrictively. Other times they don't. I think the Obama administration is going to make a, a, a good faith effort to do everything that it believes it's allowed to do. I believe the, the Achilles heel here is going to be the money from the Cuban side. And it's going to be how is this, how is this paid for? Because with the TISRA, the Cuban government was provided with an opportunity to influence the U.S. political process. When the first exports in December 2001 were being readied, there was a meeting and among one of the companies, and the discussion was, for all of this product, how many states can we source this product from to put into this boat? As soon as that was done, I think it was um, six or eight, you had all those governors those senators, those members whose districts it impacted, now they were on board. I think you're going to see 
the same with this, where you've got these building materials and these ag implements and equipment, it's going to be, does the Cuban government see that, okay, the president has done this, and quote normalization in that, is there anything really further for us to gain by spending money with U.S. companies right now? And companies are going to make that case, but in the end, the Cubans are going to decide, we saw how we could influence the U.S. political process with the food sales, but for a certain amount of time until we made political decisions that then got people not interested again. So what's going to happen this time? John, I would just ask, uh, based on what we have heard in the headlines and what we have seen in action with regard to the Obama administration and the relationship between U.S. and Cuba, what should be known? It's an open mic and it's yours. Caution. You know, people shouldn't be... You know, looking on on orbits and Google and trying to figure out how they can run down there and sell stuff. Uh, it's not always a matter of who's in first. It's sometimes better to be second, third, and fourth. Cuba today buys about 90% of their bulk food commodities from about 10 companies. So it's a small marketplace that's doing the business because of the size that's involved. I think people should read. They should not pay for consultants and pay for lawyers, go to the Treasury Department's website, go to the Commerce Department's website. It's all for free, and it'll tell you what you can and cannot do. But generally, cautious, if you're invited down to Cuba, don't be running to go, because the Cuban government has a reason they want to see people down there. But take your time, do your homework, and then there'll probably be some opportunities. But remember, Cuba's not buying from individual farmers. They're buying from the ADMs and the cargoes where all the agricultural commodities go. So if you're looking to try to influence, look to those companies. Our thanks to John Kavalik, Senior Policy Advisor for the U.S.-Cuba Trade and Economic Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bravo AgriFinance, offering a comprehensive portfolio of services that give producers and agribusiness the right products to prepare for and take advantage of market opportunities. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.